Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Thursday, April 21st, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked on Orioles podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, we are going to continue our series this week, taking a look at each of the Orioles' full-season minor league affiliates. And on today's episode, we talk about the AAA Norfolk Tides. They are off to the hottest start in the system so far this season, scoring a whole lot of runs. The pitching has been pretty good as well. And Zach Spedden is going to join us on this podcast. He is one of the co-hosts of BSL's On The Verge podcast, covering all things Orioles minor leagues. And then at the end of the pod, we will take a look at what the Orioles did in Oakland in Game 3 of that series on Wednesday night. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So we're talking Orioles minor leagues once again here on this episode as we take a look at the AAA Norfolk Tides. And this episode is brought to you by Blue Nile. This Mother's Day, give mom something she'll treasure forever with fine jewelry from BlueNile.com. And Locked On Orioles listeners get $50 off a $500 purchase. Just use code LOCKEDON at checkout. So to talk about the Norfolk Tides, who have been fantastic so far this year, a lot of talent, a lot of winning, and a lot of runs being scored, we are joined by Zach Spedden. He is one of the co-hosts of On the Verge, covering all things Orioles minor leagues over at Baltimore Sports and Life. And Zach, first of all, welcome back into the pot. Great to be back, Connor. Yeah, and so we have you on to talk about the Tides. And, you know, I know this is something you guys have talked about on your show, and Nick Stevens specifically brings this up. Like, this is the first time in my lifetime looking back that, that Norfolk is legitimately like a good minor league affiliate for the Orioles. We've had years where Bowie's been good and, you know, the, the lower levels have been pretty good. But it always seems like Norfolk is full of 4A players and journeymen. And, you know, the Orioles used to jump their top guys pretty much right from Bowie to, to the majors sometimes as well. But this year is a little different. And I just wanted to start with kind of your initial thoughts on what you've seen from I mean, the best offense in the International League and a team that has a whole lot of talent. It's been impressive. Um, not in entirely surprising because we thought going into the year that they were going to have a talented roster. And, you know, I kind of thought Adley Rutzman would be there on opening day for most of the offseason, which obviously didn't happen. But with the crew that they have now, I think it's a perfect balance for a AAA roster because you still have some of those 4A guys or guys that haven't quite caught on, but maybe still have a chance to break through um, in that spot. But then you also have legitimate prospects like Grayson Rodriguez, Kyle Bradis, Kyle Stowers, who have pretty much hit the ground running there. Uh, in the case of Rodriguez and Stowers, and in Bradis's case, any of the troubles he went through in the middle of last summer, he seems to have shaken off. It's it's been fun to watch, and I wanted to start with the offense because you know we're going to look a little bit at what has gone on so far in Norfolk this year, but also look ahead to what we expect from the rest of the season. And it's always a little tough to do that with a Triple A team because if things go well, you expect a lot of these guys to not be a Triple A and of course be in the big leagues at some point this year. But I wanted to start with Kyle Stowers because here's a guy who the way he's hitting so far, if he can maintain that is going to try to push his way to the big leagues. But of course, he plays the most crowded position 
at the big league level and at the AAA level for the Orioles in the outfield. So, you know, how have you assessed his play so far? I know he missed a little bit of time after getting hit by a pitch. And, you know, where do you see him fitting in moving forward? Because as good as he is, something might have to open in the major leagues for him to get there. Um, I think he's looked great so far. I really liked the way that he was challenged by the Orioles when he was in Major League Spring Training this year. And even though the, the stats were not great, I think we saw in some of those games where he could make adjustments to more advanced pitching. And what's been perhaps you know the most surprising thing so far is that the strikeouts, which we hear about as a constant problem, haven't really been there yet. And he's been hitting the ball really well. He's been hitting the ball hard, hitting for a lot of power even with that hand injury that cost him a few games. I made the point before the season that Stowers is probably the only prospect in the Orioles farm system that is legitimately blocked by somebody else in the major leagues right now. So the question for me is, you know, does Austin Hayes pick up the production offensively or does Anthony Santander stay healthy and, you know, generate some trade interest? I think that, the, when you have an injury that's going to knock a player out for a while, or if Austin Hayes just doesn't cut it after a few months, the Orioles got to take a real look at promoting Stowers. Um, the main thing for me is don't promote him in a situation where you're just going to send him back down in a few weeks. Make that promotion last. So in my mind, look for an injury that's going to knock a player out for a while. Uh, someone who is struggling just doesn't justify an everyday lineup spot anymore, or uh, a trade, which I think Anthony Santander is the most likely to be traded out of that group, but that's months away. Yeah, and and you know, it's not just the majors where the outfield is crowded, and of course the Orioles did just make you know kind of a, a decision that's been a long time coming in DFAing DJ Stewart. There's no guarantee that he leaves the organization. He could certainly pass through waivers and go back to AAA Norfolk because I, I learned yesterday. Shout out to, to Zach Silver for this that. He actually hasn't accrued enough service time to actually deny the outright to AAA if he passes through waivers. So the Orioles could release him, but he could technically be right back down in Norfolk with an outfield right now that with Stowers, with Robert Newstrom, with, you know, at some point, hopefully, Usniel Diaz comes back and continues that hot start. And with the home run re leader in Johnny Riser, who's been, you know, a pleasant surprise in AAA. So I wanted to ask, you know, I think everyone would agree that at least between Stowers, Newstrom, and Diaz, one of them is going to get to play a good amount in the big leagues this year, whether it be because Santander is traded or they just, you know, make some moves or they, you know, platoon with Austin Hayes or whatever it may be. But what would you say the chances are that more than one of these guys actually gets a solid shot at the big leagues in 2022? I would go a little bit greater than 50% just because the Orioles across the board are struggling offensively right now. And if you look at where they're going to trade from on the major league roster as we get into this summer, it's probably going to be corner outfield in the eights. If Anthony Santander and Trey Mancini are both dealt. So I think there's a pretty strong likelihood that we are going to see Stowers. It's more a question of when and not if. Diaz already has a 40-man roster spot. And I think they give him a look if he can stay healthy. And then Newstrom, you know, left-handed power is going to play really well at Candom Yards. The defense isn't great, but he'll make the routine plays. Um, and then Johnny Roger, who you just mentioned a few minutes ago, has, I think, overhauled his swing a little bit. And the results are showing the increased power. He needs to make more contact for me to seriously consider him as a big league option. But the advantage there is there's a guy that can play all three spots pretty well. 
So I think you see at least two out of that group break through with Diaz and Stowers is the most likely, but I wouldn't sleep on news from a riser entirely. Yeah, I think many people assume that, you know, Santander might get traded. I think most people know that Trey Mancini's probably going to get traded. So that there's an easy spot for Stowers. But I think there's a little more pressure on Austin Hayes than people think this year because of not just the AAA outfield talent, but of course, you've got Kowser coming and hopefully Kerstad as well coming up the pipeline as, as top 10 guys. But I wanted to move to the infield because obviously that's where the Orioles need help at the major league level. And there is talent there in AAA as well. You've got Jemai Jones, who we've briefly seen in the big leagues to some struggles last year. You've got Ryland Bannon, who struggled last year, but is off to a, a nice start offensively. And then, you know, you've got kind of some some other pieces in this infield. And so, first of all, I think this is kind of the, the big question. The Orioles are going to make an infield promotion at some point. Like Odor, Gutierrez, Owings, like these guys are not going to survive the next, you know, two months or so. Who do you think that first promotion is going to be from the Norfolk infield? That's a good question. I think right now I would lean towards Taryn Vavra, Vavra or sorry, not Taryn Vavra, Jemai Jones or Tyler Nevin getting another shot. I know that neither one of them really cast in on their major league opportunities last year, but both are off to good starts. And I think the one slight advantage, I wouldn't let this be the factor if I were the Orioles, but the one slight advantage to promoting Jemai Jones is that you could get Taron Vavra more reps at second base because he's had to play a lot of center field just to get in the lineup every day. And although he's looked capable out there, second base is really his natural position. I think you want to work him in. Nevin, I think if there was a natural fit for him defensively, would probably be in the major leagues right now because he looked really good in spring training. But maybe they just aren't quite sold on the third base defense yet because that's probably where he's going to have to play if he's promoted. But I think you're going to see him at some point. Honestly, I think you're going to see all four because they're on the 40-man roster. Um, they obviously can fill needs for this team at some point. Bannon looks like the Ryland Bannon of 2019, which is great to see. But if I had to say who's going to get there first, I would say Jones and Nevin because both look good in Major League camp. Both had the time last year in the Major Leagues. They need to do better at the Major Leagues, but they're producing a AAA now, so you give them another shot. Yeah, and for Nevin, you get a first baseman, a third baseman, and a corner outfielder. In Jones, you get a guy where the defense is a question, but you know he has played the outfield before if you really needed it, and you know he's been in the big leagues in two different seasons already and, and has a little bit of that experience. And listen, I would say out of all those guys, I would if there was one guy I think that doesn't make the bigs this year, I would say Vavra just because of the injury last year, and of course, you know, just the fact that I think he would be helped out the most by just a full season of everyday AAA at-bats, and I don't think they would rush him. Because, to be honest with you, like Gutierrez is a better defender than a guy like Tyler Nevin, but Tyler Nevin's bat right now is better than Kelvin Gutierrez's against Major League Pitching. So I don't think it would be like a, a big stretch to make that move, or a Jemai Jones over a Chris Owings move right now. I don't think it's a big stretch to make at all. I just think it's a matter of time. Now, we've talked about uh, a lot of hitters here. Is there anybody else on this Norfolk roster hitter-wise? I know we've basically gone through the the whole roster, but even guys who, you know, we maybe aren't touching on as much as they're going to be big league pieces, you know, very soon that, uh, you know, people should keep an eye on. I wouldn't sleep on Caden Grenier entirely. And the reason for that is that his defense, in my opinion, is major league ready. You could put him at shortstop now, and he would probably be an upgrade over most of the options, if not all the options that the Orioles had, if you're looking strictly at defense. 
because he is so good there. The problem that he has always had is that he is a low batting average, low on base, high strikeout guy with a little bit of power. But yeah, if he gives you just enough at Norfolk where you're comfortable with, you know, okay, bring him up. And if he hits 210, uh, but plays great defense, that's the bridge we can use to get to Jordan Westbrook or Joey Ortiz next year or Gunnar Henderson. You know, we can use that as our bridge. So just because the defense is so good and he's kind of steadily worked his way up the system, I wouldn't sleep on Caden Grenier. Yeah, he could maybe just get like the the Richie Martin chance. And Martin's the other guy we haven't even mentioned who, you know, has been off to a of course had a really good spring training and has started to pick it up over the last couple of games after kind of a, a tough start uh in triple A. But you know, and Grenier also a true shortstop. Orioles really don't have that on, on the major league roster right now, which would obviously help his chances. But we will get back to talking triple A Norfolk Tides with Zach Spedden in just a second. But first Got to tell you about BlueNile.com because whether she prefers a statement piece or everyday subtle elegance, BlueNile.com has fine jewelry options for every mom. Shop high quality classic diamond earrings, elegant tennis bracelets, or gemstone pendant necklaces. You can mark Mother's Day with something endearing. Classic diamond stud earrings, elegant tennis bracelets, birthstone pendants, and so much more on BlueNile.com. And they help you out. There's jewelry experts on hand 24-7, available via phone or chat to help you find a memorable gift at every budget. If you're just trying to figure out what is the best jewelry go for for Mother's Day, Blue Nile can help you out. And this Mother's Day, give mom something she'll treasure forever with fine jewelry from BlueNile.com. And Locked On Orioles listeners get $50 off a purchase of $500. This podcast exclusive is only good through Mother's Day. So use code LOCKEDON. Again, that's code LOCKEDON. Plus, every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. Shop stress-free and find your forever peace at BlueNile.com today. So we're here with Zach Spedden, one of the co-hosts of On The Verge, the podcast covering all things Orioles minor leagues over Baltimore sports and life. And we've talked about the Norfolk hitters so far, which have simply just done damage every time they've gone out there. But let's talk about the pitchers, because as we speak here on a Wednesday night, Grayson Rodriguez is taking the hill for his third start in Norfolk. And everyone wants to know, you know, when's he coming to the bigs? When's he coming to the bigs? And this is something that you guys have discussed on your podcast that I've discussed on my podcast many times. So I just want to focus on, you know, not the, the looking ahead, but just how you think he's looked through two starts. I mean, he's obviously pitched well in his first two AAA outings. I know there's been, you know, I, I talked a little bit about maybe a slight arm angle change or just, you know, a little bit tighter on the delivery. But in terms of his stuff, it looks good. And and he's seemingly just fooling AAA hitters just like he was doing a double-A guys. Yeah, you really couldn't ask for much more out of him right now. The stuff looks good. Um, he really, in his first two outings, looks like he is overmatching AAA hitters. Now, you know, you go around the league a couple of times, these hitters may catch up a little bit faster than the hitters at the lower level do. But some of the things that we have always kind of been anxious about with AAA pitchers, or at least that I've been anxious about, which is, is their command going to get a little bit worse when they first get there because older hitters aren't chasing after the breaking ball the way the hitters below them do? Or what's the adjustment to the baseball look like, which we don't really know how the AAA ball is playing this year. But Rodriguez, I don't think has – you could not ask him to look better than he has so far. I think the key is really just going to be getting him stretched out. You know, I'm not surprised that he's been four innings to start. I mean, that's pretty much what major league pitching has been so far this year. So 
that's completely reasonable for a triple-A pitcher. But I think you want to get him stretched out, make sure he can get through a lineup three times. Um, but so far, I haven't seen any reason to believe that he can't do that. And then the other guy who you expect in the big leagues this year, and I would argue before Grayson Rodriguez, is Kyle Bradish, who's the reigning International League pitcher of the week. And he's made two really good starts. And, you know, he had his struggles in AAA last year, but he has definitely figured something out early this year. I mean, first of all, would you agree that he's probably up first? And then, you know, what has, you know, you feel made him kind of take that next step to figure out this AAA hitting? I completely agree that he's going to be up first. He has a triple A time. He's already on the 40 man roster. He's a few years older than Rodriguez. So I definitely think that he's going to be up ahead of Rodriguez. And, you know, I think it's a question of whether, you know, whether that gap is a matter of weeks or a matter of months uh, between them. But I certainly expect Braddis up there. And honestly, I don't think it's going to be a whole lot longer before we see him there. What we really saw with Kyle Braddis at the end of last year because he went through a rough patch in the middle of the summer. But then at the end of the year, wasn't giving up the long ball as much, was not walking guys as much, and the strikeouts were still there. The stuff was still really good. I know that he has said in other interviews that the adjustment to the baseball was a factor. Um, so he probably got used to that. And I just think more time learning how to make adjustments against these more advanced hitters has been crucial for him. And I still wonder, had it not been for the lockout condensing spring training into such a short time frame, if he would be in the major league rotation right now. Because I thought at the end of last year that he was very close to major league ready and that a spring training might make a difference. But I think right now that he looks pretty much major league ready. Maybe just like with Rodriguez, you stretch him out, get him beyond four innings before you bring him there. But Bradis is closer to that and closer to the major leagues right now. Yeah, in terms of, you know, starting pitching in Norfolk, obviously Gray Rod and Bradish have been fun. We, of course, got some unfortunate news about Kyle Branovich today that he's going on the injured list. And I know there was rumors about potential Tommy John. Obviously, we will see how that plays out. But, you know, as the Orioles obviously showed us in 2021, and they've kind of already showed us in 2022, if you can get outs in Norfolk, you're going to get your chance at the big leagues. I mean, seemingly everybody got their chance at the big leagues last year. And, you know, we've already seen Spencer Watkins, Chris Ellis, Marcos Duplan, and Travis Lakins all get to the bigs. Now, the difference is all those guys have already been in the big leagues before. So looking at these Norfolk guys, you know, the piggyback guys, the former starters, the true bullpen guys, who, you know, if you had to put a bet down on who the first guy out of that group to make their major league debut is, besides the Bradish and the Rodriguez, who do you think it'll be out of, you know, either the Nor Norfolk bullpen or kind of the, the back part of the rotation? Keep an eye on Nick Vespi. Um, he looks phenomenal in Major League Spring Training. He had a really strong performance in the Arizona Fall League that I thought at the time was going to earn him a spot on the 40-man roster. Um, but I think Logan Gillespie had the more pure power reliever stuff compared to Vespi because Vespi's not a guy who throws hard. But he can get a lot of swings and misses, that fastball-slider combination. And to start off this year, he's not walking anybody. So if you're the Orioles, and you know right now the bullpen does look good. But we know that it's probably going to need some help as the year goes on. Here's a lefty that's getting strikeouts, not really walking guys, looks major league ready, has two pitches that he can work with, a third that he also has in a changeup. So Vespi is a guy that I expect is not just going to be on that Norfolk shuffle where you know he comes up for a doubleheader or he comes up when you happen to have 
a couple of bullpen arms that have been overworked. I think he's going to come up and get an extended shot. Um, and I think Brandon Hyde even praised the way he looked in Major League Spring Training. So that's a sign that he has the confidence of some people in the organization. And so far, he looks really good. So you gave me a lefty. Now, to finish up, give me a righty, whether it's you know one of these kind of piggyback guys or, or one of the true relievers, because I need Travis Lakins out of my life. So who can come up and fill that role for the Orioles? Um, I think that uh, we're all kind of at that point right now. I, you know, I would say to keep an eye on three guys that are righties that could help this team out. They're all probably more relievers at this point than they are starters, but it's Cody Sedlock, Ofelki Peralta, and Cole Avila. Uh, Avila was a minor league rule five pick from the Rangers. We've heard a lot before about his changeup. He struggled when he got to AAA last year, but seems to have put some work in to the offseason. I expect him to be pretty good out of the gate. Sedlock had an excellent outing the other night and is doing well in that long relief role. He may have found a home there. You know, I don't know if he's going to be more than a 4A type guy, but I think he is someone that could help this team out. And the same with Ofelki Peralta. Peralta's stuff to me looks pretty good. I think he's picked up where he's left off last year. And do you know what his story would be if he made the major leagues? He seemingly hit a wall at Frederick. He looks like he was never going to get out of high A, but he sticks through the regime chains, manages to work his way you know, out of that rut, was good last year, and has started off pretty solid. So if you're looking at righties, I'd look at that trio because in the case of Sedlock and Peralta, you've got some guys who could stretch out for more of a long relief role. Avila is more of a traditional reliever, but has interesting stuff that I think could help this team out. Yeah, he's got some good stuff. And he's like, you know, we've talked about it on this podcast. He's one of the original driveline guys. Like he's been going there forever and has built up, you know, what he can do on the mound. And finally, the O's given him a shot in AAA in the minor league rule five draft. And you know, he'd be a good piece. And I think it would just be really cool to see Sedlock get to the bigs. I mean, he's been through a lot since being a first round pick and he was one of the best college pitchers I'd ever seen when he was at Illinois and things have not gone his way in the minors. And I'd really like to see him get a chance and, you know, what better spot than still the Orioles at this point to uh, kind of get a chance. And that is the, the mantra of the Norfolk Tides this year. It's just like last year, a lot of guys are going to get a chance, but the guys getting a chance this year on the Tides seem to be a lot more talented than the guys that were getting a chance last year from the Tides. And that's, that's really the, the big difference in Norfolk in 2022. But Zach, thank you so much for joining us. Of course, you can find Zach along with Bob and Nick over at On The Verge covering all things Orioles minor league baseball. But Zach, thanks again for joining us here on the pod. Thank you. Always good to be on. So our thanks again to Zach Spedden, one of the co-hosts of BSL On The Verge, for joining us. And we're going to get to a recap with the five things you need to know from the Orioles' one nothing win over the Athletics on Wednesday night in just a second. But first, let's talk about betonline.ag. Because I imagine during this season, you could have gotten some of the better odds of the year for the O's to win in that Wednesday night game. You know, they were pretty close to an A's lineup that is just as bad and they had the more experienced veteran starter in Jordan Lyles versus Dalton Jeffries. And, hey, the Orioles came out with the victory. And if you would like to, you know, check out some odds on any number of games, head over to betonline.net. Because it's not just baseball you can get your lines on. It's also, of course, the NBA playoffs, the first round in full effect, and the NHL playoffs. The local Washington Capitals just clinched their spot in the Stanley Cup playoffs, which will start here in a few days. And you can do it all at betonline.net. You can also get sports news. You can get scores. You can get podcasts like this one and much, much more at betonline.net where the game starts. 
So to finish up today, the Orioles beat the Athletics 1-0 to take game three of the four-game series, still trailing 2-1 to one in the series. But wanted to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' victory. Now, of course, again, apologize for you know not quite covering the first two games of this series. Listen, the 940 start with the work schedule and the sleep schedule, it just wasn't working out with getting the podcast out. So I thought it was a pretty opportune time to do these minor league previews this week. And the plan was for today's episode to be the same kind of thing. But then because of inclement weather in Oakland, they moved the game up from 940 to 607 Eastern time and allowed me to uh, chat about this game and, and watch this game as well. So the Orioles beat the A's one nothing. Listen, the offense was bad again, but once again, the pitching was unbelievable. The Orioles still have given up the second least earned runs in the American, the least runs in the American League now. Listen, they gave up seven hits, but no runs as they beat the A's one nothing to get to four and eight on the season. The five things you need to know from the victory. First thing you need to know, well, Jordan Lyles for the second straight start was good enough. Listen, he wasn't dominant. He wasn't striking people out left and right. He wasn't getting a million whiffs, but he was pretty good in this one. And after a first start of the year where he was really roughed up, this is back-to-back -back pretty solid starts for Jordan Lyles. He goes five innings scoreless, allowing five hits. He struck out six. He walked just one and threw 89 pitches to get through those five innings. He did have to labor a little bit. And I think the Orioles, you know, would have liked to have gotten him through maybe six or more, but at 89 pitches, I mean, that was more than he had thrown all season. In terms of the stuff, you know, six strikeouts and 11 whiffs, this was Lyle's best start as an Oriole. Again, just his third, but the stuff was pretty good. I mean, the fastball was right around 92 as usual, but, you know, it was in the strike zone a lot. He got four whiffs on that slider. That was by far his best pitch of the day. He was also dropping that in for strikes. He was dropping the changeup in for some called strikes and some strikeouts. The stuff was pretty good for Jordan Lyles. I'm not going to lie to you. And if they're going to get this from him, that's 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 going to be pretty good for the Orioles moving forward, even if it is just five innings scoreless. I'll take that every time out from Jordan Lyles. Second thing you need to know, Jorge Lopez. Wow. I mean, he's looked good since the Orioles moved into the bullpen late last year. That was the best starter or bullpen I have ever seen Jorge Lopez pitch. And that includes that no-hit bid he had into the sixth inning against the Yankees last year. And that includes his outing against the Yankees last week when he got six outs. And that includes anything he's done well. With my eyes, watching Jorge Lopez, that was the best I have seen him look in an Oriole uniform. He records the final five outs of the game and picks up the save in this one. Five up and five down. Entered the game with runners on first and third and one out after Brian Baker had allowed two singles and then had gotten a big strikeout. It was first and third, nobody out. Baker got a strikeout for the first out. They go to Jorge Lopez. He starts by facing Christian Lopes, who was making his second career AB in the big leagues and just ran an unbelievable 2-2 pitch, a sinker that started on the inside corner at 99 miles an hour, dove in, almost looked more like a two-seam fastball than a sinker, just in on the hands, Lopes swings through it, and then he gets ahead of Seth Brown, who's been the best hitter in this series, has had the clutch hits in this series for the A's, gets ahead of Seth Brown, uh, a pitch in the dirt, let the runner go to second, so the go-ahead run was at second base in the eighth, and gets Brown to just roll over to first base to end the inning. 
And then he comes right back out there and just dials it in, strikes out Christian Bethancourt, gets Elvis Andrus on a weak grounder, and then he strikes out Mickey McDonald, who was making his major league debut as a pinch hitter with two outs in the ninth in a one nothing game. And Lopez, I mean, three pitches set Mickey McDonald down easily to end that game. And speaking of Mickey McDonald, who was using this game, and Christian Lopes and, and Drew Jackson, the former Oriole, and some of these other guys in this Oakland lineup, I know the Oriole lineup is bad, and we'll get to that, but the Oakland lineup is really bad too. And I got to be honest with you, you could convince me that half the guys in this Oakland lineup right now, of course, after trading Olsen and trading Chapman and all these guys being gone, you could convince me that a good amount of these guys are just the extras who played some of the Oakland ball players in the movie Moneyball. Like, you can convince me that. I mean, you can convince me that it's Chris Pratt as Scott Hatterberg in this lineup. But seriously, it's like guys out there who are almost trying to pass as, as baseball players. It, it's pretty bad, but that's that's another topic. Third thing you need to know from this one is that it wasn't just Jorge Lopez who was dominant out of the Oriole bullpen. Paul Fry, Dylan Tate, and to a lesser extent, Brian Baker did their job as well. I mean, Paul Fry comes in in the sixth. One, two, three, boom, boom, boom. 11 pitches with a strikeout. Stuff looked good. Dylan Tate comes in. Boom, boom, boom. Eight pitches. One, two, three in the seventh. Now, Brian Baker did come in and allowed two singles, but what he did is after allowing those two singles, first and third no outs, as I mentioned, he strikes out Sean Murphy, who's probably the best hitter in the Oakland lineup at this point, strikes him out and then comes out of the game and Jorge Lopez finishes it off. But the zeros in the bullpen continue. The bullpen ERA lowers to 2.6. And man, I mean, just every button that Brandon Hyde is pushing besides the Travis Lakins one is working out of this bullpen. You saw Paul Fry come in, throw mostly sliders. Seven out of 11 pitches were sliders, got two whiffs. The pitch was in the strike zone. And listen, the, the fastballs he threw, you know, they were okay. They were 91, but the slider was good. Dylan Tate came in, just pounded the sinker. Six out of his eight pitches were sinkers. Boom, 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 in the strike zone. Gets him to put it in play. And again, the velo wasn't where he wanted it. It was 93, 94. He maxed out at 95. I think he would like it a little bit higher, but still solid. And the, the stuff looked good for, for Dylan Tate. Fourth thing you need to know from this one, of course, is that the Oriole offense still is yet to wake up. They score one run on five hits in this game. And the only run scored, which came across in the fifth inning, comes in on an error. After a Ryan McKenna RBI, or I shouldn't say RBI double, leadoff double to give McKenna credit, he was one for three with a double and a walk, although he did strike out twice in this game. Kelvin Gutierrez comes in, hits a fairly hard hit ball. It wasn't over 95 miles an hour, though. Goes off the glove of Elvis Andrus into left field. McKenna scores. Originally, it was ruled an RBI single. You're going, yes, the Orioles got a hit with runners in scoring position. Later in the game, scoring change. They change it to an error. So even getting the run home from second was not a hit. It comes home on the only error of the game. And uh, gives the Orioles a one nothing lead that they would hold on to. And again, they had five hits. Santander had a two-hit game. He had a double and a single. McKenna reached twice. You know, the Orioles have been walking a lot this year, but that McKenna walk was the only walk that the Orioles drew. Those were the only two guys to get on base twice. Uh, Mullins had a single in this game as well. And Chris Owings surprisingly had a single. His first hit in an Oriole uniform. And that was it. You had, you know, Mountcastle 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. He did not look good. Trey Mancini and 0 for 4. Odor and 0 for 4. Just 
Not great stuff again by the Oriole offense. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from the O's win over the A's, Robinson Chirinos left this game with injury. Second inning, he was at the plate for the first time and, and took a pitch from A starter Dalton Jeffries, who pitched pretty well in this one. Six innings, one unearned run, and the five strikeouts for the rookie right-hander. But catches Robinson Chirinos up, up and in. Now, luckily, it hit his shoulder first on the fastball, which was a really good sign, but kind of hit the left shoulder and deflected and hit him in the face. And again, there, there wasn't any blood that they showed. He was down for a while. Then he walked off with Brian Ebel, the Orioles athletic trainer. He did leave the game. Anthony Benboom replaced him and, and caught the rest of the game, went 0 for 3 at the dish. So something to monitor with Torinos. Obviously, he was signed to the one-year major league deal to be the veteran catcher on this team before Adley gets here. And Adley is not ready yet. He hasn't started playing in, in any you know extended spring training games or any minor league games yet, although the Orioles have said he is progressing down in Sarasota. So you, you kind of look, and if Torinos does have to miss time or if he does have to go on the IL, the thing with that is even if Torinos just has to miss a couple of days, you can't really risk that. And the Orioles may have to bring up a catcher anyway, and they don't have another catcher on the 40 man, but I would expect Jacob Nottingham to come up if they do have to make a move. He's been hitting over 400 in Norfolk so far. I've uh, been really good with the bat down there as everybody else has. Norfolk had a, another victory on Wednesday night. Grayson Rodriguez, five and a third th scoreless with eight strikeouts. You love to see that. But, uh, you know, I would expect to see Nottingham. They'd obviously have to make a 40-man roster move to do that uh, if Chirinos goes on the injured list. But uh, hope he is okay. It's just a bruise and he's out for a day or two and is back for the Orioles. But that's it. O's win it 1-0 over the Athletics. Take game three of the series. Get to 4-8 and eight on the season. But the O's have one more game in this series. It's a day game, 3-30 today in Oakland for the Orioles. Tyler Wells getting the start for Baltimore in this one as they try to split the four-game set. He will go against Paul Blackburn, the right-hander, who has been really good for Oakland so far this year. Two starts, 10 innings pitched out there. He's only given up a couple of runs, and he struck out 10. So the 28-year-old uh, righty has been pretty good this year for Oakland. There is some weather in the area, so it's uh, kind of 50-50 right now whether this game will be played, but we will see. And then we'll be back with you here on the pod for one more episode this week. That's coming up tomorrow. I'll give you the five things you need to know from that Thursday game against the A's if it is played today. And then we will look ahead to this weekend series. Orioles stay on the West Coast. They head to Anaheim to take on Shohei Otani, Mike Trout, and the Los Angeles Angels. We'll get you set with a preview of that three-game series in Anaheim this weekend. But again, that all comes up on tomorrow's episode. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb. And this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.